episode 31 of If These Walls, in which we talk about fine human specimens, is best paired with Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John and a glass of fresh-squeezed juice. Your bloodstream is a river. Don't pollute it. Hello, this is Elena. Are you reaching your full potential? Audrey? Do you spend day after day sitting on the sofa watching your life pass you by? Oh, Audrey, there's a pandemic and we have to stay inside. Well, shut your mouth and get off your couch because your best life starts now. Welcome to If These Walls, a storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast about the parts of history and culture that make us more human and define our world and our own lives which are going okay for the most part on this given day. Thank you very much. Each week, we will both share real stories and tell tales, famous, infamous, or unknown, that fall under our interpretations about a specific a theme. I say it like that because you say it like that. <laughs> I think we need to copyright that. <laughs> this week, Audrey has chosen... Fine human specimens. <sighs> Fine indeed. Audrey... Yes. Why this now? Because I said in the last episode that this was the thing I was going to (laughs) do. And it made sense on the heels of our last conversation in which we discussed New Year traditions, most of which center around recommitting ourselves to being better people. Oh, but it's a different world now. But it is. And also, we weren't here last week. I know. We weren't here last week. I missed you. I missed you, too. Thanks. But... Our world was hurting and so was your body. And I I feel like we need to take a moment to take care of ourselves. Do you want to talk about how you were feeling? Sure. Just briefly. I had the COVID. And (laughs) um, I was like, are we going to say it? You should. I should because I felt a lot of shame in getting it. So I want everyone to know that they're not alone. And I guess the reason I felt shame is because I feel like I did something wrong. And uh, I got it. And oh my God, a cat just jumped on the back of the chair. How did he, you do that? Wayne heard you beating yourself up and said, not my mommy. Not my mommy. This cat is balancing on the back of this chair. He's agile and amazing. He's a little gentleman. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I felt like I had done something wrong because I got it, which means I didn't do quarantining properly. But in all actuality... It's just really prevalent now, and like one in 16 people has it, and that'll get even worse. And so if you leave your house at all for any reason, even if it's very momentarily, you're probably maybe eventually going to get it in some form. And that's just how it is right now. Yeah, I I do want to say that also potentially in your own defense. Absolutely, everyone, please isolate and wear your masks and take precautions and do all the things you're supposed to do. And all of that will help. But also it is present and bad enough that you might still get it anyway. When I had it in March was when we were being super duper serious about staying inside our apartment. And I literally went to the grocery store once with a mask yeah. on. And yeah. And I got COVID. Yeah. I, yeah, we don't know, ultimately know where ours came from either. It was a very random thing. And I knew it the second I had it and I started to feel bad. 
and I got a really bad headache and I was like, oh, this is it. Cause I'd had a couple scares before, but I never felt any symptoms. And I felt this headache creeping in unlike anything I've ever had before. And I was like, it's it. It's going to be positive. Yeah. And it was, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I I don't have to talk about my own individual thing. It was awful. And I would suggest if you can avoid it. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like the dumbest thing possible, but like, you don't want this shit. There's a huge, I don't know if you felt it because you had it early on, there's a huge mental like stigma that comes with it. And it was almost in some ways worse than the physical symptoms of it. It's just, especially if you watch the news a lot and are, and are in the know about everything and you see the death tallies every day, you're getting something that has been the focus of this entire world. It's been what we've been talking about for almost a full year now. Well, over a, f- a full year in some areas, in some countries, but it's it's now in it's now taken over your body and you hear a lot of the bad stuff and you and like i never really thought oh my god i'm an, i'm going to die i never thought that but i did think holy shit this is dangerous this is really fucking dangerous and it takes a a huge mental toll on you just to like sit there with that for you know two weeks of isolation but uh but we are very lucky and I never want to hear anyone come out of it and say, it wasn't that bad, so it's not that bad. If it wasn't that bad for you, you know what you say? You say, it wasn't that bad, I for me, and I am very lucky that it wasn't that bad because not everyone is that lucky. And that is the takeaway. COVID, don't be a jerk about it. Yes, exactly. And so if you will excuse me, I will now put my soapbox over here to the side. Okay, I'm ready. It was a very pretty and a very sturdy and a very good soapbox, and I appreciate your taking it out. Thanks, I made it myself. Yay. Well, I think we can all agree that the first few days of this year were not great. Um, yeah, <laughs> if you made resolutions to drink less and relax more, the fates definitely threw a bit of a curveball your way. I just watched um, a movie with Mel Gibson doing an Irish accent, Scottish accent again. So, Is it Braveheart? It's not Braveheart. There's a new one. Oh. Um, it's the, the Professor and the Madman. It's on Netflix, and it's the story of the Oxford Dictionary. I've always wanted to read that book. It is interesting. And then I looked it up on the Wikipedias, and I said, oh, this is true. Yeah. This is, for the most part, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I, I will say that it is certainly not a bad movie. It maybe just because it is Mel Gibson, it's it's his style of acting. And the fact that within the past 365 days, I have also watched The Passion of the Christ, Braveheart, um, The Patriot, and something else. I'm forgetting what. It wasn't Apocalypto. Um, But very Mel Gibson-y things. And there's a certain cadence to how the, the script rolls out and certain scenes you expect. And it's like, Oh, he's going to have a, a whole, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was very Mel Gibson-y. Which, he was there. Can't remember um, I saw a Mel Gibson movie. Well, you're about to. Hmm. With the beard that he grew for the uh, pseudo-horror movie Fat Man, in which he plays an enraged Santa. Hmm. Two movies out of the beard. Anyway. Great. So, yeah. We could t- spend this episode talking about the insurrection. Uh, about sedition, free speech, white supremacy, treason, and a whole bevy of beefy topics that have become painfully relevant in the first few days of 2021. 
But I'm going to stick to my proverbial guns and the topic fine human specimens for uh, two reasons. Uh, One, there will always be people in the world who are on a mission to help others, and we need to remember that. And two, no matter what's going on, you are always able to try and be your best. And when you're at your best, you're best suited to help others. Elena, is you ready? Strapped in. <coughs> Let me drink my bubbly. What flavor is it? Mango. Oh, jelly. I would say the second. Be- I'm not usually an orange gal, but I prefer the orange. This is hmm. of the bubbly specifically, not the quoi. She's got that bougie water. We all know that the best LaCroix is Pamplemousse. Hibiscus. Have you had it? Oh, no. We did discuss that. You're right. That is the best one. I'm so sorry. You're welcome. Hibiscus with a little bit of limoncello. Hibiscus. Bye, hibiscus. All right. Our story begins in September of 1914 in the Bay Area of San Francisco, California. Not yet a mecca for aspiring tech billionaires, nor the land of rice San Francisco was still recovering from the great 1906 earthquake that leveled the budding metropolis. Two French immigrants, Jenny and Jean Lalanne, welcomed their third son, Henri, oops, I should say that in a French accent, Henri Francois, into the world two years after the death of their firstborn. Thank you for correcting yourself. You're welcome. I, I'd rather do it now than in next week's episode. <laughs> Food, medicine, and luxuries were occasionally scarce, but the couple did all they could to support their two surviving sons. A tough life made all the more tough by the undeniable fact that their youngest son, Henri, was a raging asshole. He sounds like it from that pretentious French name. Ooh, oui, oui. So, what do you do when your kid is out of control? Lollies. Lolly. <laughs> What's this British side of you? Lollies. Mummy. You're right. Appease them with sugar, of course. From the time he was a toddler, Jenny would quiet her fussy son by offering him a rag soaked in <laughs> sugar water to suck on. The most turn of the century thing ever. Oh, my God. And this was not an occasional fix. The boy consumed sugar so frequently, but by the age of four, he had lost all of his baby teeth to rot. Prone to violent episodes directed against himself and others, Henri, nicknamed Jack by his older brother, possibly in reference to his jackass behavior, (laughs) Jack had a bad temper. Jack would even go on to describe himself in his memoirs as a miserable goddamn kid. (laughs) On top of his hot-headed antics and violent outbursts, Lelaine, and I'm going to say it Lelaine because that's how we say it in America from now on, and this is Jack Lelaine. Ta-da. Lelaine also suffered from headaches and bulimia and temporarily dropped out of high school at age 14. The following year, at age 15, young Jack Lelaine's mother took him to a lecture held by 20th century health food pioneer Paul Bragg. The talk was billed as a means of improving your own physical and mental well-being, focusing on the evils of meat and sugar. When Bragg began his description of the symptoms of sugar addiction in 1929, you guys, Mm. Jack LaLanne saw himself instantly. 
the message that mood swings, anger, headaches, and body aches all could be remedied by cutting out sugar, eating whole foods, and getting a healthy dose of the old exercise was especially revolutionary in that nothing was being sold at this lecture. It was free. No snake oil. No snake oil salesmen. Salesmen. No wagons full of rabbit's feet or other things that will make you better. There's no membership, no special instruments or supplements required. Anyone could start feeling better on any budget all by themselves. Bragg's message had a powerful influence on Lillane, who then changed his life and started focusing on his diet and exercise. In a matter of weeks, the headaches and mood swings left. The good news? Jack returned to school. The bad news. Kids are stupid jerks and immediately began bullying him for his new diet. Of course they did. Lillane stated, I had to take my lunch alone to the football field so no one would see me eat my raw veggies, whole breads, raisins, and nuts. You don't know the crap I went through. <laughs> what were kids eating for lunch and in high school in 1929? I think it was like, okay, shredded carrots in aspic. Um, rocks and gravy <laughs> and the Twinkie. It's been around forever. No, no, no. This is too early for the Twinkie. I'm wrong in that. It might be straight up black licorice. Huh. So if the beloved memories of our childhood have taught us anything, it's that when bullies come a calling, it's time for our hero to have a workout montage and work out. Jack did, but remember, this is the 1930s, and the world was full of all kinds of strange theories about what did or did not do a body good. Swimming was and is widely lauded as an activity to tone up, but the use of weights or any extensive weight training beyond calisthenics was largely taboo. And so it was that young Jack LaLanne encountered two men jerking in a back room. The set, did you think I wouldn't? No, I, I fully expected you to. They know what podcast they're listening to. Yeah. The set of weights used by the pair were kept in a lockbox when not in use, and young Jack asked whether he might have access to them himself. And yay, the two gym bros responded as gym bros do, by laughing and challenging the young boy's strength. Kid, you can't even lift those weights. <laughs> they said. <laughs> Whilst jerking. <laughs> Whilst cleaning their snatches. <laughs> so, Jack offered to wrestle for rights to the equipment. And he won! Wow. Because they may have had the muscle, but let's not forget that Jack LeWayne had been scrapping with everyone that crossed his path since infancy. After he beat them both, they gave him a key, and he used their weights until he was able to buy his own. Back at school, the newly athletic Jack made waves on the high school football team and later went on to college at San Francisco, where he earned a Doctor of Chiropractic degree. He studied Henry Gray's Anatomy of the Human Body and concentrated on bodybuilding and weightlifting. And in 1936, at the ripe old age of 21, Jack LaLanne opened the nation's first health and fitness club in Oakland, California. Like Paul Bragg before him, his primary goal was to encourage and motivate his clients to improve their overall health. Area doctors, however, advised their patients to stay away from his health club. 
a business totally unheard of at the time, and warned their patients that Lilane was an exercise nut whose programs would make them muscle-bound and cause severe medical problems. Lilane recalled the initial reaction of doctors to his promotion of weightlifting. Quote, People thought I was a charlatan. The doctors were against me. They said that working out with weights would give people heart attacks and they would lose their sex drive. Opposite. Opposites. Opposite. Opposite. So, with warnings of heart attacks and penises not working, how do you get people to join your club? (laughs) This is how you get customers. Step number one, no more snatching in the back room. Lelaine's gym featured full-length windows facing the street, and he worked out hours at a time for the Looky Loo's delights. Looky Loo alarm. Looky Loo alarm. (laughs) Step two, mold the youth. In between sets, Jack spent time at the beach and public parks, watching the children play and spotting tots he thought might benefit from his influence. They're the ones that are sucking on rags that have sugar water on them. Just follow the dirty rags on the ground. Pick it up. (laughs) It's like spit and a little bit of sugar. There's a fatty around here somewhere. (laughs) He'd see where the kids went. He'd knock on their door and say to the parents, fucking quote, this is a fucking quote. I noticed you have a fat kid on your hands. Give me one month and he'll lose 20 pounds. Double your money back. Or, hey, your boy looks like a string bean. Let me have him for one month and I'll put five pounds of muscle on him. Double your money back. And through nutritional coaching and strength training, Jack kept his word and transformed every kid to the full extent of his promise. Even if it meant tracking them down after school and knocking the baby Ruth bars right out of their little mouths. That is aggressive viral marketing. Linked, linked in the resources. Hearing him talk about it himself is so entertaining. He's so passionate about it. And like you, you get it in the sense of he had put an investment into purchasing this very expensive location and essentially A, was excited about what he was doing and genuinely thought he was going to make mankind better by teaching people how to take care of themselves, but he was fighting an uphill battle of an entire community that thought that he was crazy slash everything that he was saying was detrimental to their health. So he had to make this work. (laughs) What better guinea pigs than children? He was an influencer that really had to overcome the odds. Absolutely. Results are the best advertising. So seeing their children transform motivated fathers to reach out to Jack for their own training. And soon mothers reached out to get their pump on, even if in private. They'd say, can I see you for an hour tomorrow, but in the back and don't tell anyone. Really, I'm quoting Jack on this. And as scandalous as it sounds is about as scandalous as it was in the 1930s. Women were told to avoid weightlifting at all costs, lest they become muscle-bound and masculine. A stigma we're still fighting. Can you, can you imagine a time when you like go to the gym and you don't post that you went to the gym? Like, Did you go to the gym it's then? It's the opposite. I went oh, to the yeah, gym. Oh, yeah, no. This is, this is a uh, – I, I also think about in the, the show on Hulu, Mrs. America, Kate Blanchett. In the opening scene, her character, who is a um, conservative politician 
housewife, I put them in that order because she is a working politician, um, is in a bikini contest. She's a, in a pageant. She's standing in a bikini. And then periodically throughout the show, you see her by herself when no one's at home doing sit-ups in front of the TV. And what I can presume after doing this research was like, following the Jack Lane show. And we'll get along. We'll get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But it was very much a, the results, everyone should just assume that's what you look like. Right. Right. Yeah. No one should ever see you sweat. No one should ever. Yeah. This. Ugh. It's so frustrating. Okay. It's most- so frustrating. And once upon a time, this would be the most frustrating thing I could think of. But now I'm just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Boomers. Um, all right. So Lelaine designed the first leg extension machines, pulley machines using cables, and the weight selectors that are now standard in the beauty in the fitness industry. He invented the original model of what became the Smith machine. And by the 1980s, Jack Lelaine's European health spas numbered more than 200. He eventually licensed all his health clubs to the Bally Company, now known as Bally Total Fitness. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Now, I didn't either, honestly. Um, And now you know. But all of that was yet to come. Let's jump back a little bit. September 1953, specifically. While the residents of Oakland had changed their tune about Lillian's enthusiasm for fitness and nutrition, Jack had his eye on a bigger prize. The world! Or at least getting as many people as possible to subscribe to a lifestyle of healthy eating and exercise. Far less maniacal. Jack purchased a 15-minute slot on San Francisco's ABC television station to promote his gym. There, he met his wife, Elaine Lillian. <laughs> Elaine Lalane, who realized this sounded del- uh, ridiculous and went by Lala. I love it. Making her Lala Lalane. Perfect. <laughs> Best drag queen I ever knew. I do love it. <laughs> ever the brilliant marketer, Lalane had learned from his child guinea pig gym promoting days that people listen with their eyes. That is in a non-ableist term uh he could talk all he wanted about how his regimen would make you strong and healthy but people need the proof and thus with a television crew handy began the feats of jack lalane in 1954 at age 40 jack lalane swam the length of the san francisco golden gate bridge underwater with 140 pounds of equipment an undisputed world record the next year, age 41, Lillane swam handcuffed from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, California. The point being that this was the, quote, inescapable prison. Swimming through shark-infested waters with handcuffs on? No, thank you, ma'am. How nope. do I punch him in the face? Yep. In 1956, at age 42, Lillane set a world record of 1,033 push-ups in 23 minutes. On You Asked For It, a TV show with Art Baker. That's a lot, right? That's a lot, and now I want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, and I'm not trying to downplay his uh, feet, but I'm Just wondering. Just want to see what it feels like. Well, I'm wondering what the, what exactly the standards were on that. Like, did he chest to deck it, or was the, or were these like little pulsy push-ups? 
either way, it's it's impressive. You know, you know what the good news is? It's televised and it's recorded, so oh, you can watch. Okay. Yep. In 1957, at age 43, Lillane swam the treacherous Golden Gate Channel, towing a 2,500-pound cabin cruiser. This involved fighting the cold, swift ocean currents that made the one-mile swim a six-and-a-half-mile test of strength and endurance. Shit! Next year, age 44, Lillane maneuvered a paddleboard 30 miles, nine-and-a-half hours nonstop, from the Farallon Islands to San- to the San Francisco shore. Nine and a half hours of paddleboarding sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> sounds awful. <laughs> and finally, for now, at age 45 in 1959, Lane completed 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 chin-ups in one hour and 22 minutes. As you can imagine, these incredible feats raised uh, quite the hubbub. In fact, when Elaine was speaking about this uh, in an interview with him, he said the hardest of all of them, in his opinion, was the thousand push-up, thousand chin-up, because he hadn't anticipated his hands ripping open, as they do when you do that many pull-ups. Yeah. Any mediocre CrossFitter will tell you that. And I'm I am. Mediocre. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I can't do a full pull up, but I ripped my hands open on the bars multiple times. <laughs> so, having raised plenty of fuss in 1959, the Jack LaLanne show was picked up for nationwide syndication. And there it continued until 1985, making it the longest running exercise program in television history. With a minimalist set, Lillane inspired his viewers to use basic home objects, such as a chair, to perform their exercises along with him. With all the enthusiasm of an evangelist, Jack bellowed to get off your seat and onto your feet and copy his movements. Pre-Jane Fonda, Richard Simmons, Denise Austin, Billy Blanks, Sean T. Jack Lillane turned America's living rooms into fitness centers. Perfect for 2020, 2021. And good news, boys and ghouls, it's all online. Yeah, I did one of them on YouTube. Did yesterday. you really? I oh did. Gosh. He's got an episode on hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of up-down movements, and I'm like, I don't know, Jack. I think it's a bad idea for hangovers. Did you have a hangover? No, it just, I wanted to see what he had to say about it at the time, and he did carry over a, some of the hangover was metaphorical. Uh, one of them was about a having a hangover from working out or like guilt. The best way I could describe it when listening to him, because the format of his show is it's about 25 minutes long cat, butt. someday still there someday when we, when we put this on Patreon, you'll be able to enjoy all the cat, butt that we enjoy. You too can look at her anus 30 times a day. Like I do. She shows it to me. She shows it to me. I'm not seeking it out. (laughs) Mama, my anus. Back to Jack (laughs) Lane. He's got a 25 minute program and he starts with a little warm up and then he'll, he'll have a guest on the ones with his mother are delightful. Oh my gosh. Um, He'll have a guest on to talk about fitness and their lifestyle. And then you get up again. You'd never sit for more than five minutes. And you do a little workout, and then he, in the 1950s, 
turns a chair around backwards and straddles it like Stryker on Star Trek. And he has an informal chat with you about how you could be living your life better. And then you end it all with a workout and he tells you how great you've been doing. And he calls you students. Oh, I love that. Is it a little bit sexist? Of course it is from time to time. <laughs> it's the 19, it's the 1950s. He specifically says in the hangover episodes that some of the chest exercise and he's like, and some of these hangovers, girls, you know, you get hangovers in the chest. And I'm like, are you talking about sagging boobs? You're talking about sagging boobs. And then he makes you do pec exercises. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all in all delightful. And in addition to his broadcast program, encouraging at-home basic movements, Elaine recorded what, um, recorded glamour stretcher time. This is also available on YouTube. It is a workout album that provided phonograph-based instruction for exercising with an elastic cord called the glamour stretcher which is exactly what you buy today when you get resistance. I'm sitting right next to him with my little sheet of how to use your stretchy weight cable training. The glamour stretcher. My glamour stretcher. I wish it was a glamour stretcher. His was sparkly. Anyway, the title, pretty feminine focused. But of course, uh, as a daytime show, much of Lelaine's audience were stay-at-home mothers. To encourage women to engage without fear of turning into Jack, La 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 Lane was part of the show to demonstrate the exercises, promising female participants that they would not ruin their figures or musculature. He brought his mother onto the show and praised the efforts she took with her own fitness. And she is just lovely. The whole point being to encourage older folks that they could and should get moving too. La La Lane also included their dog, Happy, as a way to attract children to the show. Later in the run, because dogs, angels though they be, are but briefly on this earth, another dog named Walter. Uh, Lilene claimed that Walter stood for, we all love to exercise regularly. (laughs) And I will say that it is a delightful program. He, in more than one episode that I watch makes a specific shout out to if you're in a wheelchair, if you're having trouble moving, if you're in a hospital, wherever you are, just do what you can. And that kind of awareness is, I didn't anticipate from the 1950s, but the message is so strong behind it of the point is you train your body. Your body is what it is and you work with what you have to work with and you need to move what you work with, what you have. Did he invent CrossFit? No. Oh. <laughs> He's more inclusive than Sounds that. Sounds like he did. CrossFit's pretty inclusive. What? Tell what did I just Dave, say? Tell that to Dave Castro. Oh, I don't talk to him. Okay, good. He Over only the- does the hard stuff. He does the game. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> we'll cut it. We'll cut it in post. Cut it in post. Cut it in post. Kate, can we cut it in post? Yeah, we're good. Thanks. Over the next three decades, Jack published several books and videos on fitness and nutrition, appeared in movies, and even recorded a song with Connie Haynes. Can he sing, you ask? Yes, he can. As you'll know if you watch his show, because he sings goodbye to you every episode. It's, it's guys, I can't say this enough. It's fucking delightful. Also, you think you have a good gym playlist? Try a pipe organ. Oh, shit. It's a pipe organ. 
He marketed exercise equipment, a range of vitamin supplements, and two models of electric juicers. But above all, he stressed that all you really need to live a long and healthy life was the commitment to living better. Besides producing his own series of videos, he coached the elderly and disabled not to, forgo, not to forego exercise, believing it would enable them to enhance their strength. And as the years passed, his passion and ability seemed to only grow. Birthdays became a national affair during which Leland would complete increasingly more challenging feats of athleticism. You ready for this shirt? Let's go. So at age 60, he repeated his swim from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf, as he did when he was 41. Only this time, not only was he handcuffed, he was also shackled and towing a thousand-pound boat. But the sharks. Fuck the sharks. I'm Jack Lalanne. <laughs> I drink juice. <laughs> at age 61, he swam the length of the Golden Gate Bridge again, underwater, handcuffed, shackled, and once again, towing a thousand pound boat. At age 62, he swam one mile in Long Beach Harbor, handcuffed, shackled, and towing 13 boats, representing the 13 original colonies, containing 76 people. What a patriotic act. Wow. At age 65, he towed 65 boats filled with 6,500 pounds of Louisiana Pacific wood pulp. I don't know why. While handcuffed and shackled in Lake Ashinoko near Tokyo, Japan. Man likes to be handcuffed. He does, and he likes his wood pulp. 6,500 pounds of it. Also, Louisiana Pacific wood pulp... At a, for a for a Tokyo Japan swim, they had to get that there. I need to look into the significance of that pulp, man. Mm-hmm. At age sixty six, he towed ten boats in North Miami, Florida, filled with seventy seven people for over a mile in less than one hour. And finally, at age seventy, handcuffed, shackled, your boy likes bondage, and fighting strong winds and currents, he towed 70 boats with 70 people from the Queensway Bridge in the Long Beach Harbor to the Queen Mary, one and a half miles. You want to be like Jack? Yeah. Let's talk diet. Uh. Well, you have to. Lelaine blamed overly processed foods for many health problems. I had a great workout today. I had corn dogs for dinner. I believe in balance, but I can't tow boats. For most of his life, Jack Lalanne was mostly vegetarian while including fish in his evening meal. In his later years, he appeared to advocate a mostly meatless diet that included fish. He ate two meals a day and avoided snacks. His breakfast, after working out for two hours, consisted of hard-boiled egg whites, a cup of broth, oatmeal with soy milk, and seasonal fruit. For dinner, he and his wife ate raw vegetables, egg whites, and fish. He did not drink coffee. Woo-hoo. Incredibly healthy. And also, when you see raw vegetables, egg whites, fish, it seems like it's going to be very plain, but there's so many kinds of fish. There's so many kinds of vegetables. There's only one kind of egg white, but still, you can get variety out of that. I mean, but just, like, just roast those veggies and release the flavor. Come on. You trying to tow boats or not, bitch? I guess... You couldn't tow two boats, let alone 70. I'm going to tow 69 boats. Stick my toe up your butt. I don't know why that was what I jumped to. I'm sorry. 
<sighs> Let's get away from diet. We hate it and it's the hardest part of fitness, right? It's true. It is. So exercise. When exercising, uh, Lillian's method was to work out repetitively with weights until he experienced muscle fatigue in whatever group he was exercising. It's known as working, training to failure. Yeah. Bodybuilding, but also training to failure. Uh, Lillian moved from exercise to exercise without stopping. To contradict critics who thought that this would leave him tightly muscle-bound and uncoordinated, Jack would finish off workouts by demonstrating one-handed balancing to say, a fuck you. <laughs> His home contained two gyms and a pool that he used daily. Lillian celebrated his 95th birthday with the release of a new book titled Live Young Forever. In the book, he discussed how he maintained his health and activeness well into his advanced age. A statement from him. I know so many people in their 80s who have Alzheimer's or are in a wheelchair or whatever, and I say to myself, I don't want that. I don't want to be a burden on my family. I need to live life, and I'd hate dying. That would ruin my image. <laughs> but, of course, death is the one experience we all inevitably have in common. Lillane died of respiratory failure due to pneumonia at his home on the 23rd of January, 2011. He was 96. According to his family, he had been sick for a week but refused to see a doctor. They added that he had been performing his daily workout routine the day before his death. Wow. Lillane summed up his philosophy about good nutrition and exercise. Dying is easy. Pain, living is a pain in the butt. It's like an athletic event. You've got to train for it. You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise. Your health account, like your bank account, they're the same thing. The more you put in, the more you can take out. Exercise is king and nutrition is queen. And together, you have a kingdom. And that is the story of the magnificent life of Jack Lillane. I loved it. Very good message. I'm glad you. I'm glad we stuck with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the longevity of of if you think about the beginning of him doing something notable enough to have a Wikipedia page was age 21 and continued to age 96. Yeah. It was a 75-year reign of doing impressive shit. Yeah, and just such a such a distinct moment of committing to it, too. Mm-hmm. As a young, as a high school kid. It's pretty extraordinary. It's just, it, I think anyone who wants to commit to a journey, a fitness journey, a health journey, a nutrition journey, they have to have that moment and they have to have that buy-in. And they have to be ready to go or else they will never commit. Mm-hmm. And some that shifts for a lot of people. Ooh, hi, Kitty. That's just for people over time. But yeah, just to have the stamina to keep that going for so long after your aha moment is, is it's wonderful. It kept him vital. There was something that I did not put into my storytelling of him, but I do want to share now just because he, he exactly in his, older years is very much a grandpa full of grandpa jokes and he talks about why his vitality was so important to him and he said that he and la 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 lane continued to quote we make love almost every night almost on monday almost on tuesday almost on wednesday (laughs) that's adorable 
It is adorable. And actually, I did grow up with him uh, because the Jacqueline Power Juicer infomercials were on. I do remember those. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And it was him and Lala. Lala. Lala Lane. I love her. I don't that know is a her. great drag name. It is a she, great drag name. She's still alive, a kicking and running BFIT Enterprise along with their son. She's still alive? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yeah. She she is the queen of the kingdom. She she runs the kingdom now, Beef and Enterprises. Their son and daughter, I believe it's her daughter from a previous marriage, um, are the three of them run the uh, organization now. You can go to the website. It is delightful. Love it. And I do so thoroughly enjoy how we went completely opposite ways for this one. Can't wait. Can't wait. Your first thought was, how can I find human specimens that fill you full of life and vitality? And my first thought was, how can I talk about murder and dead bodies? I figured you would. I Uh, can't wait. (laughs) Bring us back. Picture it. Sicily, 1947. No. Picture it. You're in. That was a Golden Girls joke. (laughs) I was ready for a Sicilian murder story. Picture it. You're in your office. Boss calls a meeting in the conference room. Turns out today is the day everyone's going to learn CPR just in case another coworker has a heart attack during a fake fire alarm in which thousands of dollars of damage is done and a cat gets thrown through the ceiling. I have been there. Your craziest coworker is up next. Oh, holy shit. Is he, is he, is he cutting the face off of the CPR dummy lovingly named Annie? Oh, actually, that that's pretty funny. Buffalo Bill impression, LOL. He's going to be in so much trouble, but damn if this isn't entertaining. Are you not following this at all? I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. I just wonder how far we're going to go with it. That was it. Stress relief part one and two are the best office episodes. <laughs> that was it. Dwight. Kind so of that's, and that's, that's, that's the episode. That's the episode. <laughs> that's it. Le Connu de la Seine. I think my French is improving. Le Connu de la Seine. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the trick to French just to ignore three-fourths of of the letters? Yeah, mostly the vowels. Was approximately 16 years old when her body was pulled from the Seine in the late 19th century. It got dark. After it got dark real fast. After she was pulled from the river, her body was sent to the Paris morgue to be put on public display for possible identification. Quote, there is not a single window in Paris that attracts more onlookers than this. A book called Unknown Paris, published in 1893, suggests. So if you have an unknown dead body, you take it to the morgue. They put it on public display for the looky-loos. Wee, 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 looky alert for the looky lose. And I'm sorry that I am this. I am sorry not to be like morbid, but this is me. I would be like walking by that window and I could do a little, do a little side gaze and then like get on the other side and be like, oh, no, I know I had to go this way after all and turn around and walk back in front of the window and just do some more peeking. Can you imagine passing out of this plane of existence only to be displayed like a salted ham? Well, how else are you going to figure out who they are? A picture? What year is it? It's 1893. A picture. Have someone draw it. Okay. (laughs) So it is unclear how Le Connu died. 
Some say that she may have completed suicide by walking into the river, but that is unverified and just sounds like a little bit of romanticization. So whatever her method of death, one thing the onlookers at the morgue could agree on is how serene her expression was in death. So much so that after remaining unidentified, a mortuary attendant made a cast of her face prior to burying her in an unmarked grave. The lore is that he was also quite taken with her face and wished to preserve it. And boy, did he. Le Connu's face became an icon, and it was mass-produced and sold in souvenir shops across Europe. We will, of course, link the photo in our Instagram, so go look at it, and the second you look at it, you'll go, oh! I have so many angry opinions right now. In night, well, here this one. This story ends in a in an up. It's 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 a it's a feel good one. Okay, <laughs> somewhat. In 1958, Dr. Peter Safar, an an Austrian anesthesiologist of Czech descent, presented a paper on his newfangled life saving technique in the Journal of the American Medical Association, a technique that combined mouth to mouth resuscitation and chest compressions. To teach this technique to healthcare professionals and the public alike, Dr. Safar envisioned using a life-sized human-like doll. So, he partnered with Norwegian toy maker Asmund Lerdal to make it happen. And it was Lerdal that ultimately chose the now infamous face of Le Connu to be the model for what became known as Resusa Annie, or as she became known in the U.S., CPR Annie, as in Annie, Annie, are you okay? Which, by the way, Michael Jackson took from CPR training, not the opposite way. Yep. Staying alive. Staying Stayin alive. alive. Uh, Annie, uh, are you okay? Uh, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? It works for both. <laughs> That's what you should use. Oh, I had an epiphany here in this moment. <laughs> Lairdall decided the mannequin had to be female because men in the 1960s would be hesitant to place their mouth on a man's mouth. Eye roll emoji, eye roll emoji, side shade emoji, lipstick so emoji. So hard. Many other CPR dolls have entered the market since 1960, but CPR Annie is the first and most well-known, most well-used prototype. Pediatric intensive care specialist Marino Festa from the Children's Hospital at Westmead, Sydney says, quote, simulation training has begun to understand necessary realism to create memorable learning that is transferable to the real world situation. Resusa Annie helped us understand this. Are you ready for my emotionally charged closing sentence, Audrey? I cannot wait. Half a century after her death, Le Connu <laughs> has had more than half a century after her. <laughs> Over a century after her death. There we go. Let's start it again. Over a century after her death, Le Connu has the most kissed face in the world. And though we will never know her identity, she has undoubtedly helped to save the lives of countless people around the world, despite having died long before the life-saving techniques she helped to teach could have saved her own life. It is sweet and yet ironic. And at the same time, I was really ready for this to go a Carl Tanzler route. Or like a oh, muffin? No. Uh-uh. 
I I didn't want it to end there, but also I do want to say, while it's nice that that's kind of where it ended and it is helping people, I absolutely loathe the fact that for an extended period of time, there were just a bunch of people who made money off of her face. They lifted her face off of her body and sold it. Which is not, I mean, it's not unknown to us as a species. If you look at like public, um, what am I trying to say here? Public executions over the years, people would take body parts from other dead humans and keep them on their shelf. And it's like, oh, they burned a witch today. I think I got her toe. It's oh. going to go with my mantle. Oh, oh, did, did you want to talk about ethical human body usage? Oh my God. Is that not why we're here? Because that's what we're talking about next. <gasps> Allow me to uh, use my very inspired segue from heartwarming to heart stealing. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited about this. <laughs> Body Worlds, an exhibit of dissected human bodies, has been traveling the United States since 2004. The exhibit features real human corpses that have undergone a process called plastination, developed by Gunter von Hagens in the late 1970s, which, quote, unites subtle and which, quote, which, quote, <laughs> unites. Sorry, it back. I'm, la- <laughs> I'm leaving it all in there. I'm leaving it all in there. Which, quote, unites subtle anatomy and modern polymer chemistry. I am a scientist. I shove the wax in the blood tubes. Yeah. This process allows the human specimens to be displayed in various acts of motion, running, jumping, even having sex. The show sold out various sized venues all over Europe and Asia before being brought to the United States, where it continued to sell very well among adults and children alike. So... Let us now dive into those murky waters of, and insert an echo here. Ethical human body usage. Prior to bringing the show to America for the first time in 2004, the California Science Center, which sounds like a totally real thing, verified that Body Worlds had 200 death certificates that matched the donor records for the cadavers that they traveled with. The problem, however, seemed to be that no one actually took the time and energy to sit down and match all of those bodies up with those death records. So, despite the company saying that everything was on the up and up, there was no paper trail that could effectively match everything up. And it was just like kind of a thankless job and no one wanted to do it. In addition to the bodies that Dr. Van Hagens has plastinated in order to be shown for profit, he uses the same technique on hundreds of unclaimed corpses that come from Chinese medical schools Mm-mm. and then uses those bodies solely for educational purposes. Mm-hmm. These unclaimed bodies are, according to Dr. Van Hagens, never used in the body world exhibitions as that would be unethical. However, No outside independent source has ever confirmed that these unclaimed Chinese corpses are not from, and this is worst case scenario, dissidents killed in Chinese prison and then sold by brokers to medical schools. In 2004, Van Hagen's returned seven corpses to China because of new evidence that they were the bodies of executed Chinese prisoners. Oh, come on. (laughs) Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. 
even in the body world. And so in 2006, Bodies the Exhibition started touring North America. And unlike their competitor, Body World, Bodies the Exhibition straight up admits that its bodies come from unclaimed Chinese corpses, which can and does include executed prisoners. Okay. Spokes idiot Roy Glover says, they're unclaimed. We don't hide from it. We address it right up front. But you're still making money, Roy. Groups such as the Lao Gai Research Foundation, which documents human rights abuse in China, claim that these include the bodies of political prisoners executed by the government itself. I mean, I guess good thing they're straight up about it, but for that reason, many venues that will host Body World will not host Bodies the Exhibition. Good! But that doesn't stop them and it and all of it from raking in the dough. In an expose in the New York Times from 2006 called China Turns Out Mummified Bodies for Displays, journalist David Barboza writes, quote, here in China, determining who is in the body business and where the bodies come from is not easy. Museums that hold body exhibitions in China say they have suddenly forgotten who supplied their bodies. Police officials have regularly changed their stories about what they have done with the bodies, and even universities have confirmed and then denied the existence of body preservation operations on their campuses. Dalian, China is where Van Hagen's operates a large facility. Let's call it a body factory, because that's what they call it. I mean... So here I am quoting directly from the New York Times and uh, trigger warning. It's not entirely pleasant, although I wouldn't say it's like the grossest thing you've ever heard. It's just not pleasant. About 260 workers in Dalian process about 30 bodies a year. The workers who generally earn $200 to $400 a month first dissect the bodies and remove skin and fat, then put the bodies into machines that replace human fluids with soft chemical polymers. That's the plastination. In a large workshop called the Positioning Room, about 50 medical school graduates work with the dead, picking fat off of the cadavers, placing them in seated or standing positions, and forcing the corpses to do lifelike things, such as hold a guitar or assume a ballet position. Premier Exhibitions, which is the force behind Bodies the Exhibition, paid $25 million in 2006 for a steady supply of corpses from China. This is big fucking business. And you know who's not seeing that money? The workers. And at least in the mid-2000s, body factories worked hard to keep up with demand. Premier and the company behind Dr. Van Hagen's bodies, which is called the Institute of Plastination, have fought court battles against each other over everything from copyright claims to claims of cadaver stealing. They are not friends. While throwing Premier under the bus at every opportunity, Dr. Van Hagen's maintains that he is respectful of all of the human cadavers he works with, saying, quote, every specimen is an anatomical treasure. And every treasure is worth money to somebody. Yeah. Uh, I hate this. Yeah. I hate this. And I apologize. I haven't I haven't like checked in on how popular these body exhibitions are popular currently. I mean, I, I mean, I know they were huge when they first came out. Yeah. I don't know if it's still something that people are that is in such high demand anymore, but I I do, this this one popped into my brain when you said fine human specimens 
because I recall reading about the controversy surrounding it. And it goes so much deeper than I, than I just covered. It oh, is, bad. well, it's real bad. And there are many groups that are focused on this uh, human abuse and, and ethical rights violations in China and all over the world. And it's, it's worth reading about because it is, so fascinating and so morose and awful. If there's one thing that is universal amongst human cultures, it's that we are by and large very specific about what happens to our remains after we leave this earth. Or if you don't believe in that, after we stop thinking. So to that end, it's hard to believe that you could amass any number of bodies voluntarily or entirely ethically. I don't I know that okay, so if you if you do decide to donate your body to science, quote, I don't imagine they mean to the local traveling show popping up at the broken down JC Penny at Northland Mall. Well, and that's where that's where those that's where some of these are, especially Bodies the Exhibition, which doesn't quite have the clout that Body World does. Right, right, right. Um yeah. And here's the thing about, oh, you know, we own it. This is, we, this is where they came from. Well, then, F you, man, Roy. Here's the thing is I, I, I get curious about this to a certain extent because I think about the Natural History Museum in New York and that they're, they do have not to the full extent of like bodies or body world. Um, but you can go and you can see a vascular system and it's, it's, it's a donated that they've at least, I'm forgetting if it's the actual plastinated vessels or if it's just like a mold that's been taken from it. Either way, it is important for educational pur- purposes that we do have some kind of public access to models, to forms, but I think to any great extent of having the full show on it for something outside of medical purposes, you do have to stop and say, why? Why? Especially Why? when you've got two huge promoters that are competing for money and for, you know, bookings in these venues. And it's like when a, a doll sells really well at Christmas, demand goes up. So production goes up. So production of plastinated human bodies goes up. You're right. Where, where are you going to, you can't, it's not a doll you make from scratch. It's you got, you got to get, come across those bodies somehow. How are you going to get them? And the sad thing is, and the sick, the sick sad thing is, to quote Daria, um, there's going to be a demand for it. I think about in in Brooklyn at uh, Alamo Draft House uh, movie theater I go to. It has really good chicken tendies. Um, the attached bar is House of Wax, and inside House of Wax, they have an extensive collection of fetuses of turn-of-the-century young children that are in wax, of people with certain deformities that are wax figures. And it's the theme of the bar. It is the theme of the bar. Now, to be fair, what they are displaying are artifacts, for lack of a better word, that have been in circulation since the late 1800s, since the early 1900s. It's not like they've sourced, but they didn't didn't commission anything new (laughs) for this bar. And I have some friends that love it, but I've, I, I never don't feel uncomfortable. Well, it's like the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia, mm. right? But they have, they have a very specific scientific purpose. And yeah, a lot of their oddities um, 
are quite old, but they were specifically donated to that museum. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really it's a disgusting it's, rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. It's it's normalizing othering in the tradition of, of the old school freak show. Yeah. 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 To me. To me. Those yeah. only feel about. I've never gone to one. Have you been to a bodies exhibit? I, I anytime there was the opportunity, it just did feel, even though it is fascinating to me, it, it did feel a little icky. I didn't because when the opportunity was available, I had also just watched uh, House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. Tay Diggs. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. We talked about this. Um, the Ennis House. <laughs> we talked about a lot of things. We talked about this. <laughs> I had just watched that and they have in that movie the the preserved body on top of a like preserved horse vascular yeah. system. Yeah. I was shooketh. I was not yeah. in a place yeah. where I wanted to see that shit in person. I was also the phase in my life when I had just discovered uh, John Merrick, um, commonly known as the elephant man. And I got re- from there. I watched the movie, the 1937 movie freaks 34. Someone's going to yell at me about this um, and got really involved in, okay, what was that? turn of the century freak show life and how people were put on display. So I was very, I was a 10 year old that was very self-righteous on the topic and also a little bit scared. So no, I didn't see it. Audrey, I have a question for you. Yeah. When have you never been self-righteous on a topic? Not today, Satan. (laughs) Um, And I realized, I realized I contradicted myself a little because I said I would stroll past the French morgue and look in the window and, and, Look at the dead bodies. This is different. It's different. Right? It's <laughs> different. Right? No, no, no. It it speaks to a it's very different? no, it speaks to all of our that that morbid curiosity. Yeah. I has it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same book that made me it's the it's the same morbid curiosity that made my stomach a ruffle with nausea and yet my eyes twitter with curiosity when I found my mom's Jack the Ripper book and I opened it up and I saw the crime scene photos and I was like, yes, this is terrible. But also, why can't I stop looking at it? I can't stop looking at crime scene photos. I can't. It's awful. Anyway, speaking okay. of. OK, I don't know. Um, well, Yeah. I like this. I like when we choose two different, <laughs> two very different uh, things based on the same topic. <laughs> so we went lessons, down some roads. We did. The lessons from this episode, everybody, is listen, a lot of shit is going down right now, but figure out where your body's going after you die and drink your juice until then. Yep. Um, <sighs> speaking of what's going on in the world right now, mm-hmm. the topic for next week Yes, is treason. Wowzers. I really went out left field with that one. (laughs) I wasn't going to do it. And then I was like, we have to do it. Oh, well, and you, well, that's the thing is you and your family as the quote strict Anglophile that you say many of your family members are, this topic should be right red hot for the picking, shouldn't it? Trees on. So we're talking about trees and their sons. Join <laughs> us next week for a lineage of foliage. Arborary. Arbor. Arbor. 
Arboretal? Arbor mist. Arbor mist. Oh, okay. I know. (laughs) In the meantime, we're going to eat some chicken tendies and drink some mango bubbly. I wish you all hugs, love, and the lacroix of your choosing. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at if these walls pod. You can email us at if these walls pod at gmail.com and please rate review and also subscribe on the iTunes. That really would be very helpful. Also just like tap someone on the shoulder, but don't because of COVID, but like metaphorically tap them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, have you heard of this podcast? I really like it. It's fun. And I learn a lot and there's some death. Don't poke them. But if you were on Facebook in 2010, you might throw a sheep at him. Yep. Oh, my God. Remember that? <laughs> God, we're morons. Get off Facebook also. That's your last <laughs> thing to do. Get off of Facebook and take care of yourself. Eat your raw veggies and your fish and your egg whites. Support us. Support yourself. And also be an athletic supporter. Dun, oh, goodbye. Tell <laughs> the door hits you on the way up. Bye. Don't go, 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 don't go